Your creativity helps you to define your originality. That originality makes you different. And the world notices differences, not sameness. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, your eye, actually in the brain, is wired to differentiate. Differentiate between what? What's different and what's the same? So we notice the things that stand out. We call that originality. Mm-hmm. So that's when the demand will be made. Welcome to the PS Younger Self podcast, where we talk to inspiring entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and creatives on how we can all crush our fears and optimize our lifestyle to live our most fulfilling lives and always on our own terms. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of our monthly collaboration with HubDot, where we highlight one of HubDot's storytellers. And today we are joined with, as always, a HubDot member to help us introduce our guest today. And our HubDot partner is a writer, storyteller, and a part-time lecturer from Antigua and UK, Miss Brenda Lee. Hi, Brenda. How are you today? Hi, Chris. I'm very well. Thank you for inviting me to join you. And thank you for being part of this episode to introduce our guest today, who is Delana Johnson. And um, you were with us during that live piazza where Delano shared his very moving, inspirational, and also quite motivational story with us. What did you think? It was uh, one of those stories that live with you afterwards because what I remember most was the fact that it was his mother that inspired him to keep reaching, to keep reaching and never, ever giving up. And even when he lost everything after acquiring such fame, he was able to dig deep again and start all over without remorse and didn't, you know, he didn't stop. He didn't stop believing and he didn't stop doing. And that, that's quite a testament to the love of his mother and how he was languished into knowing how to fail and knowing how to rise. I, I agree with you. When he was sharing the story and connection of his mother, I felt like his mother's presence was with us at the piazza. Like it was just so strong and uh, powerful and, and it made us like that much more. I feel very connected and inspired by that part of the story. Yeah. That, that, that energy. And it, it, yes, as you said, it felt like she was part of the piazza and it spoke to a lot of us, whether we're mothers biologically or mothers, you know, through marriage or through adoption or, just being a, a mother to, to younger workers or, or, or friends, it told us the importance of that connection and the words matter. How we language mm. uh, and speak to our children matter a lot longer than we are on this earth. Exactly. Thank you so much, Brenda, for um, helping me introduce our guests from the HubDoc community and sharing the space with me today. Thank you. And I'm looking forward to hearing the rest of his story.
I'm here today with Clubhouse's sexiest male voice moderator with us today. But in all seriousness, while he has quite the smooth voice, our guest today here today is to share his inspiring and motivational personal story of how losing everything taught him some important life lessons. He shared his moving story at the eighth anniversary of Hub.Live Piazza. And boy, did he move the entire global audience. And we had, you know, a few hundred from around the world. He's a best-selling author of Refuse to Live Talented and Broke, a brand architect and authority on personal and business creativity. Oh, and just a side note, he's also Grammy nominee singer and songwriter. He has literally written a blueprint for creatives, artists, and entrepreneurs to better manage their lives and money from learning how to trace and erase physiological behaviors that are holding you back to how to create, manage, and monetize your creativity because he firmly believes that everyone is a creative genius. So please meet the talented Delano Johnson. Welcome, Delano. Welcome to the show. Oh, man. It is such an awesome and a privilege uh, to be here. With you, Chris. I, I've been waiting for this moment for us to have the chat. Oh, it is my my honor. And as I mentioned in the intro, Delano, there was something about your raw, honest story that moved mm. our entire audience. And I just mm. remember the global audience just it was as if like we were in like a physical room and you were on stage just inspiring mm. and motivating us. I think it would be really great for us to start this conversation and, and how you knew and believed you had your own creative genius. I know this is like one of your core pillars and to be able to persevere when you lost everything you said at one point and, and you say in your book, you wrote a whole book around this, that you didn't want to be talented and broke. Can you share a little bit about this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is a great question, and it's an important question to understand the genesis, right? You want to understand the beginning of a story. Um, it's the part where you're introduced to the characters and you're introduced to the resolve and and what the goal is. And so for me, looking at, or going back in time, I think as early as probably six, but yeah, actually five, five years old, when my mother heard me singing, and I think I was singing either Mary Had a Little Lamb or Jesus Loved Me This I Know, one of those songs I was just singing. And I guess I added some flair to it, and she just kind of, uh, she said, oh, you can sing. Next Sunday, I was, she pushed me up in front of the church and told the pastor that I was singing while the offering was being taken. And, and that was my introduction, and she told me to sing, and I sang, and I figured that there was something to this. It felt good. I could I could still now, I mean, I'm going to be 50. We're talking about 45 years ago. I'm going to be 50 this year. And I can still feel, I can still feel that, that homeostasis, that place of, oh, this is where I'm supposed to be. Like, I'm like wow, I love this. I love this universe. <laughs> and I, I think it was from that age when, then my mother just encouraged me. And so from then, from that moment, I really just began to look to her leadership or her encouragement um, as it relates to me exploring even more of who I was creatively. And uh, she never disappointed. I would tell you that. She, <laughs> she never 
ever disappointed. Um, so the, the moving from there, uh, I did in school. I was, you know, voted most likely to succeed. I had a music band and we sang and, and I would sing specific songs at, uh, at the assembly, what we would call a high school assembly, um, or sing the national anthem. So things like that. I was always involved with music and, and art. And um, and so by the end of high school, I pretty much made a name for myself. I was doing concert promotions. Um, I was also um, heavily in the art. I started to do some graphic designs then. Um, and then I also studied uh, for almost a year, for about a year on an internship, uh, studying architecture and civil engineering. So it's always been for me, art, and the music, like those two things, melodious sounds, audio, and, um, and visual communications. So it's, it's always been that for me, and I know that that's where my superpower laid, and that's where I would probably find the most fulfillment and success. Mm. I mean, you were, I feel, so lucky, it seems like, at a very young age, and I love the descriptive word you use, you felt a sense of homeostasis. But I feel like many of us, you know, we go through life um, still kind of searching for that passion or that purpose. And I'll be very honest with you, Delano, that I did not feel until very recently when I quit my corporate career that I'm now following my purpose, which is actually building mm. this PS Younger Self community. But can you, is there a way for uh, some advice or something that you can give to others who may not have found that yet at an early age or still kind of looking for it or want to cultivate it to maybe yeah. this taps into the creativity? You know, really, Chris, I think so let's let's do this. Let's let's change the programming language here. Our words are our programming language, right? That's the that's the thing we use to program the future that we want. So let's change the language just a little bit. I don't believe that we actually um, have to find it per se. I believe that we're born with it. We're totally familiar with it, and around about the age of between maybe six and twelve. Society, environment beats it out of us. It's still there, right? It's still there, but it beats it out of us. Like there was a specific time, a certain time within my trajectory that I didn't know what I wanted to do. Even though I had this wonderful introduction to what I loved, this thing that, you know, lit my, my campfire, it was my flashlight, it was everything. But uh, then you start to get into society, which starts to strip away that those congenital abilities and feelings of, you know, euphoria, those zone moments where you're doing something and you lose, completely lose time. All of us can remember at some point in time we've had that. Whether it was nurtured or not, that's the issue. So I think... If you don't know what that is, it's all about regression. It's all about let's, you know, talking about a little bit about NLP here, going back into what made you tick from four, five. Some people it's at three. You know, Tiger Woods was you're hitting a golf, uh, you know, golf ball uh, from from age of three, 
on on the Tonight Show, and uh, so it was, it was no wonder that so so it's being able to nurture those things. So here's so here's one of the things. One, where were you and what were you at three, four, five years old? If you can go back to the first time you ever felt alive, maybe you were on a swing, maybe you were in you know, on the play school, uh, the, the school's playground, and you were bouncing a basketball. Maybe it's when you first heard a cello, the sound of a cello or an oboe, or, or maybe it's when you first heard rap music. Maybe it's when you first heard country music and, and, and uh, someone was playing an album or the record and you mimicked it and, and, and you just felt like, oh, this, this thing, I, I, I love this thing. Um, everyone had that moment. There's, I've never spoken with anyone who was not able to find that Genesis moment, right? That pivotal moment. Everyone that I've ever spoken to about finding your life's purpose, simply start there. That's the starting point that will lead you to who you are rather than who you have become. So if you start there, you're going you're gonna to follow this trajectory and you're going to go towards this thing and you're going to see these imprints where other people were putting other brands and other ideas of who you should be on you and then that took precedence. Right? That became more important. Okay, you can't, you can't go ahead and be a musician. You know what they say about musicians? You know, you're like a slice of, you're like a slice of pizza. Oh, no, it's... <laughs> The thing was that I think my uncle said, "You know the difference between a musician and a and a large pizza." And the question was, "What?" Well, if, if, if a pizza could feed a family of five, and a musician can't. <laughs> and they, <laughs> right. So that so that's never just, heard that before. Thing, mm-hmm. so, right. So so when you hear stuff like this, you start it starts to beat the idea of being that Grammy nominated. Or Grammy, you know, award-winning, or Oscar award-winning, or Tony or Emmy award-winning, or you know, Wimbledon, you know, the, the what is it called, the, the tennis cup, you know, oh, uh, and, and all of. I think uh, the. Um, Stan, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, both. At, yeah, it's at the both of our it. tip of our tongues, but. <laughs> right at the tip of my. Yeah, um, I'm going. We're going to remember it anyway. But you know, any you know the the NBA championship the. You know the the football, you know Rose Bowl, or the mm-hmm. or the Super Bowl, or the you know any one of those things that signify a, a visual clue of you know the apex of achievement for what it is that you want to do. It's beaten out of us, mm-hmm. but we but when we but when we start that journey, we're able to actually remove. So I use this four step program. Right, you have to first face reality the reality is you're not who you want to be mm-hmm. then you have to trace trace it back and that's what we just talked about going back to three years old mm-hmm. right? okay so you face right you trace and then you have to erase mm-hmm. right that's number three you have to erase those things when you go into a computer program and you're looking for a virus, you just don't leave the virus there. You don't leave that malware there. You have to find it, right? You have to face that the computer's operating still within. It could be 
You have to trace where the problem is diagnostically and look to see, and then you have to erase it, mm -hmm. right? After erasing, I love this next part. This is the fourth part. And that is now you have to replace. Mm -hmm. So you have to replace it with positive programming, right? We call it, you know, um, anti-spyware, uh, anti <laughs> anti-malware, right? I love this computer analogy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. right? So, so, so then you have to create this antivirus program that says anything outside of who you really are, the three-year-old person that you just found going back and tracing, anything other than that is called a virus. Mm -hmm. right? Anything that says you can't do this, and regardless of your age, it's amazing. It's amazing. There's massive amount of stories. I mean, you look at Colonel um, uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken Colonel Saunders, who started after the war. He started after the age of 60, and um, the rest is history, right? There are people who start late in the game because of numerous amounts of reasons, but they're able to still achieve it. You know, you only need five years after being self-aware to max your potential. Hmm. You, only need five, you only need five years. Because mm -hmm. you think of it, everything else is sharpening, right? A pencil is sharp enough to be able to write. You can write. Everything else is just sharpening. You got to get that lead out of the pencil. And I may be dating myself at talking about <laughs> pencil and lead. <laughs> but, but, but that's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. It takes about five years after self-awareness, right? And you're convinced. And you start putting those programs that will ward off all of the mal and viruses that will come towards trying to change you mm -hmm. and make you something that you're not. And it takes about five years. Now it'll take more years to sustain it. Right? It's gonna take it's gonna take the rest of your life to acquire the knowledge to be able to sustain that success. Mm -hmm. It's like a and and for using your brilliant computer analogy, it's like updating the software, right? To Updating the software, being able to stay, listen, you stay connected, right, to the heavenly source, right? I call it the creative universe. It's where all creation comes from. And if you stay, right, if you keep up to date and you allow the updated versions of yourself, every time you hang out with people who are where you want to be, mm -hmm. that's an update. You're becoming, you're becoming, you know, Chris 2.0. Yes. Right? And then, and then you hang out with other people at another level, you're becoming... Chris 3.0, right, and 4.0, and and you and you continue to grow, right? I mean, as long as we have an iPhone, right? I'm an iPhone user, I'm a Mac user, so I don't know about the uh, the aliens. I mean, I'm sorry, the uh, Android. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know about the Android thing, but but you know, as long as you have that, you, you know, you'll be you'll be having updates and alerts for updates. Yeah. This is always going to improve. Exactly. I mean, I, I love how you really broke it down in terms of the four-step process. And it, you know, 
even though you mentioned it only takes five years, I didn't even think about that to really max your potential. It's to your point, like, you know, the work, the work you put in to sustain it um, and, you know, really actualizing and maintaining um, that potential to continuously evolve and expand yeah. on your creative genius. But Delana, I want to, um, if we can, I'll kind of really hone in on this creativity because, it's, it's, you know, you're also the CEO of creativity. It's, as I mentioned earlier, as I learned about you, it's one of your biggest pillars. And you say that we have to depend on our creativity to create the opportunities, and especially as you work with artists and entrepreneurs. But do you feel like it's more important than like having the talent or skill? Like how can we re- like depend on it, can you expand on it a little bit to help us create these opportunities for us and expand on a Chris 2.0, 3.0, etc.? Yeah. So here's how the world works: the world loves perfection, right? All of us are striving for a certain level of perfection, mm-hmm. and even though we may never actually reach perfection, I mean, anybody who's telling you who has an insatiable pursuit of perfection, right, or, or that pursuit of, of, of accomplishment, you, you actually never get there. Yeah. You're serious about it, right? Because you win a Grammy, okay, no, that's win two, right? You win two Grammy. Who, who, who has the most? Okay, nine? Okay, we can go from nine. So there's always more. You're always scaling. After the five, after the fifth year of self-actualization, you're basically scaling from there. So here's so here's what happens. The better you become, the more in demand your gifts and talents will be required. Mm-hmm. So if you are talented and you understand how many talents you have and you you work to sharpen those skills, and there's so many tools available to help you sharpen your skill set. Right. If you're a writer, there's thousands, literally thousands of online courses and books that you can read to sharpen your skill. Right. So when you do that and you you become more entrenched in that talent, you put in the 10,000 hours like Malcolm Gladwell talks about in his book, The Outliers. Mm-hmm. You put in that time, you know, most of it may be for free. Right? He talked about how, you know, the Beatles played for months on end um, before they got their big break. But they were practicing. They were in it. They were in it day and night, playing anywhere they could. Right? And so once you, once you get to the point where you're practicing by finding opportunities to do, right, it may be paid or it may not be paid. But the whole point is that you're practicing practicing, you're getting better at it, you're getting, you're understanding the science of your talent. Now you can manipulate, you know, the outcomes. Okay, I don't want it to be this way, I want it to be that way. You can write a hit song at will, mm-hmm. right? You can, you can make a movie because you know the formula. There's a reason why Steven Spielberg's movies all do well, right? Understands the formula, his DNA of success. And so your creativity helps you to define your originality. That originality makes you different and the world notices differences, not sameness. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, your eye actually in the brain 
is wired to differentiate. Differentiate between what? What's different and what's the same? <laughs> so we notice the things that stand out. We call that originality. <laughs> so that's when the demand will be made. For example, I got on this app called Clubhouse. Yes. And I've been singing and speaking all my, I mean, for, since I was five, literally. My voice has been at the center of what I do for a living. And so um, uh, singing and, and then speaking, right? And then art, of course, was a big part of it as well. But always speaking. <laughs> like, like now, as a, even as a singer, I would say, oh, I like your smooth voice. And then people would say that. But, but it was never to this intensity uh, that I'm receiving here on, um, on Clubhouse. And so I simply, I simply harnessed that opportunity. And it was because really, you know, I'm at the age where I'm, I'm a little bit seasoned in terms of I know who I am. I know what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And I understand branding. So I may have just a little bit of an advantage when it comes to to honing in and branding who you are, taking opportunities from your brand, you know, originality um, and your and your brand assets, either the ones that seen and unseen or so there's just an opportunity. And I said, you know, what? I'm going to hone in on this and I'm going to put it in my bio and see where it goes. Mm-hmm. Now I'm, I hold rooms on, you know, Clubhouse Sexiest moderator uh, speaks on everything <laughs> and i get other moderators who have great voices and we do we help other people to develop their voices and so that's just a part of, of, of who i am and i never saw it coming right never saw it coming but so i think i think focusing on doing what you do well well enough to be different from everybody else then you will stand out and i tr- trust me then you will be paid handsomely Mm. And I mean, it makes sense when you said how it's, I think you tied it to science about how we recognize things that are different in a crowded place Mm. of, you know, of all, you know, same or duplicates, right? And like there's right and kind that helps you differentiate Mm -hmm. yourself. And that is what's going to, you know, create, I think, intrigue and mysteriousness and interest in, I think, learning about someone that actually has something different, innovative and uh, unique to, to share. And you're Mm -hmm. right. And, and I think it's the ability to, or the belief and not being afraid to embrace your differences Mm -hmm. or your uniqueness and actually turn it around to leverage it because that's what's really going to make you stand out and just, yeah, make a name for yourself. Yeah. I I agree with you there, but at at this point, I want to interject this part here. Instead of just even embracing yourself because you are, you are, you're you're becoming, right? You're, you're always growing. Um, my position is you create the differences. For example, if everyone's wearing black, I'm going to wear white. Oh, uh, you create the difference. White, I'm going <laughs> to. Yeah, you're creating the differences. Now we're talking about being a creator, right? Not change. <laughs> that's the that's the life of a creator. Your your brand, your personality brand. You're creating the world around you. Mm-hmm. You're using programming language, but you're also using visual clues to help identify the thing that you've created. We call it a brand. 
So if everyone's if everyone's on Facebook, I'm going to go on Twitter, right? But I'd rather be a big fish in a small pond than be a small fish in a big pond, right? So you get you gain credence there. And listen, everything is about cycles. If you listen and you observe, you'll see that everything has cycles. I actually predicted this about four years ago that, and if you go on any of my timelines, on my any of my social media timelines, you'll see that I actually recorded um, when everybody was posting in images and video, I was posting just talk, but it was just me in front of a microphone because I realized, but I did this, you know, particularly with music. I would look every five to seven years, um, the music would change. Every 10 years, the whole style would change of how we, of what we delivered in terms of music uh, and as well as motion picture. So there's, there's cycles to everything. Fashion always does. It comes back to loop. You get belt bottoms, mm -hmm. narrow legs, just keep coming back. And you keep, it's just, just a loop. And if you watch, right, if you're the first one up when that change is right at the precipice of mass um, acceptance, um, I've seen Malcolm Gladwell talk about this in his book, The Tipping Point, as well. Mm -hmm. right? if, if you're paying attention to the trends, you'll be able to see, okay, wait a minute, seven years, so, okay, so we've got one more year. So it can help you to actually start to create, create. That's what it's about. It's about creating, understanding the elements, understanding the ingredients that you have to create the world that you're envisioning. I love that, Delano, how you really underscore that you don't just embrace it, but you are the creator. You have to create these opportunities. And that mm. I love to actually describe how we're all artists of our own masterpiece, which means that you mm -hmm. have the power to create your life into a masterpiece. Mm. And so that was really, really beautifully said and so important to underscore. And I want to now get into, Delano, how um, you really map out, as I said in the intro, this blueprint. And earlier, like when you walked us through um, five steps in your book, Refuse to Live Talented and Broke, um, you speak about kind of these four, is it four or five steps of how to kind of not get trapped up in, you know, being a really talented person, having a creative genius, but in this cycle of just being broke or chasing money and, yeah. you know, success in that way. And one of the first things we already talked about, you touched on the creative focus. And two is about differentiating between creating and managing your creativity. But I kind of want to go into one of your uh, later steps here, which I found really interesting, Delano, on toxic mm. relationships. Because you make an interesting mm. point that our success drive and our sex drive are the same emotional pool. <laughs> How can you, <laughs> yeah. can you tell us a little bit more about this and why is good relationship habits correlated to money habits? Yeah, I'll start off with a quote. In, and the quote is by Warren Buffett. Okay. He said this. He said, if you can't manage your emotions and relationships, you won't be able to manage money. Huh. Money is a very powerful trigger to our emotional anchors. True. Right? We want, we, in other words, money is the go-between. Um, so it's that veil, that thing that 
need that society and the economy says we need to obtain in order to get this end result. So it's not about them. It's the, the, the strive for money is not for money itself, but in the power of owning and getting the things that help us to self-actualize. Mm -hmm. Relationships, which is the cornerstone of all movement within humanity, nothing moves without people. Mm -hmm. Nothing moves, nothing gets done without people. It's not just you. So anything monumental has to be a community of people. Has to be moved by a community of people. So, so uh, in the book, I really talk about chap chapter seven. And the book deals with actually ten reasons why. And, but I probably, Chris, should give just a little bit of backstory in terms of how I got to the book. So I made my first million after knowing, you know, exactly what area I wanted to be in. I made my first million at thirty-three, and by thirty-nine, I was broke. I was sleeping in my car, I'd lost my three houses, um, you know, one in the Bahamas, uh, one in New York, one in New Jersey, and I'd lost everything. Um, on the verge of losing my marriage, uh, my kids were with me, and um, through a court battle, I lost the kids. So I'd lost everything, and, and really, really, truly, I actually attempted at one point after the judge ruling, which I had all of the paperwork that um, uh, through law suggested that the kids would so should be with me, but that didn't happen. Um, and I just thought that the justice system failed me as a as a black man, a father trying to you know make sure my boys are with me and and I'm you know I'm I'm doing what I need to do. And so so I after the the case, I just wanted to you know just basically drive my car to the Seven Eleven, and I I. I put my pedal to the metal, and I kid you not, um, the car just stopped. I never moved my, my feet off the pedal. It stopped right in the intersection where there was a cop who just basically, they didn't come up the car and ask me what happened. They just really kind of signaled to just get out of the way, get out of the way. So that that was the day when Angel saved me. I know mm. um, that that was, the only, that was the only thing. And so... You know, after after that period of time, um, I you know I I I had a bunch of this notes that I wrote down you know through my through my journeys and never realized that I was going to be writing a book until that time I actually just sat down and realized that maybe these maybe these words and these things and these these proverbs and these experiences were some for for some greater purpose. <laughs> And that's when I started writing. So um, I realized there was a lot of friends that I had going through some of the same challenges. And and I just wanted to help out because I was like, someone's got to do something. And so I just started writing this book and I read over 300 books. And from those books, I extracted these, the, the most important things for creative because I couldn't find books specific to creatives on managing your life and money. Mm -hmm. You know, it was all scattered, and I read everything from Adam Smith, Wealth of Nations, to uh, obviously, I've, I've mentioned Michael Gladwell at least twice, um, now Ferguson, Descent of Money, Jack Welch, um, all of the books, you know, Seven Steps, Ten Steps, Three Steps. <laughs> you know, I was just reading everything um, just to get there. And so uh, I basically extracted about 107 principles that creative people do or not do that keep us in this perpetual state of being talented and broke, mm -hmm. where 
we know we should be, we're cognizant that we should be further along, that our bank accounts should be a little bit more robust, right? That our choices should be a little bit more expanded because of our resources, but we are not there. It's different like when you don't know that you have the potential, you know, to live comfortably as opposed to when you do, when you know you do. It's like knowing you're the best in the dance company that you keep getting passed over. That's another level of frustration. So, so chapter seven deals with the seventh reason why you, why you may be talented and broke. And that is because you, your creativity is being poisoned by toxic relationships. Mm. Yeah. Got it. You know, we all handle stress differently. And you may be with someone who handles stress by lashing out <laughs> because that's what they saw. That's what they heard. That's their experience. You may be with someone who handles stress by shutting down, completely shutting down. No one gets in, no one gets out. And those two extremes are still unhealthy. They're two poles, but they're still unhealthy to move relationships and communication forward. And sometimes it's just not with love relationships. It's also with parents and siblings. Yeah. And if you look at someone like a Lindsay Lohan, all of the stuff that she's been through in the the media, right? mm-hmm. you, you go right back to the seed of her parents' relationship. You look at somebody like a Whitney Houston, who just an awesome person that went back and it was relationships. Mm-hmm. Relationships, relationships just have a way of defining, redefining, and influencing your outcome to success, right? Because yeah. you don't, you, we're not being successful to be in a room all by ourselves. Mm-hmm. No, and that um, point about relationships now, correlation to, uh, you know, your good money habits. And when you, you know, bring in a, even the example of Lindsay Lohan, it reminds me of, um, I'm sure you know, Esther Perel. And she says that the quality of your life is determined by the quality of your relationships. And it makes mm-hmm. so much sense and exactly to what mm-hmm. you have just been saying. And so, I mean, then how can we, how do we identify, Delano, if our relationships, whether it's friends or with your family or significant other, or even in a professional environment, if it's toxic, if it's not serving us any positive value in helping us foster in in the direction that we want to go, how do we identify that? Yeah, so there's a couple of things that I did in the book. Um, because the book is a workbook, I wanted to make sure people had empirical data that they went through themselves, you know, extract their own lives. And it's just not me using some case study, but it, it, it's your own personal life. So one of the things I start out in that chapter doing is taking an inventory. I gave an analogy about your life is like a bank, right? Things go in and things go out. There are people right now in your life who ain't nothing but withdrawals. Yeah. Taking away energy, right? To them, it's, they suck your energy. They suck your life. They suck your motivation. They suck your money. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're just parasites and they're, they're, they're just there to take, right? And, and they know that. And here's the thing. Sometimes we know this. You ask somebody like a Mike Tyson, he knew that there were people around him. Matter of fact, he didn't even know everyone that was around him. He, oftentimes he said he would ask, who's this guy? 
and but yet they're in his house mm-hmm. right and so but but it's our insecurities yeah right we depend on these false identification and visual clues of success and belonging mm-hmm. where it's just numbers and the quality right the quality of relationship so one of the ways that i do this write down right get a piece of paper and, I, and i'm I, there's no program to do this this is totally engaged right the whole mental physical engagement writing is a physical engagement mm-hmm. and then you have the left column as your the positive and the right column as a withdrawal <laughs> and i encourage them to simply write down start with your withdrawals first and you write down all of the people who are in your life who actually take from you and it's easy to really determine because wow People who give to you, you always feel rejuvenated and refreshed. And like, oh, I just had an idea. When you talk to that person, like you always have ideas of doing something great, right? Or, or they encourage you that you know your your creativity knows no boundaries, right? They're always this cheerleader. They always give wisdom to help you make great decisions. Like that, that's a depositor. So those individuals you want to write in your depositor mm-hmm. column, and then the withdrawals. So here's what usually happens, and particularly the people who are extremely talented and broke. Because the broker you are, the more people around you who are more broken you are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Right? You keep them around you so you can feel like you're not too broke. Yeah. <laughs> At least you're not as broken as well. Well, there's also that <laughs> saying too, Delano, right? Um, you're the sum yeah. of the people you spend your time with the most, right? Yeah. So if you want to become yeah. wealthy or more... Uh, creative mm-hmm. or etc then find those people that inspire you but it's difficult to do that if you're broke you, you can't really find mm-hmm. wealthy people if you're broke and when i say you're broke i'm really talking about a mentality yes mentality i'm, I'm really talking about a, a mentality mm-hmm. as opposed to what you're driving or, or, or how you look you watch movies like uh, in pursuit or in pursuit of happiness right with will smith he was talking about chris gardner his whole entire story and and you you see that it's just really that mindset shift first, yeah. and then the physical follows. So after pe- after you write after you do that exercise, if your withdrawals outweigh your depositors, in banking terms, we call that bankruptcy. <laughs> Every bank lives to have more depositors than withdrawers. Mm-hmm. They don't like when you're withdrawing money out of your account, right? We want you to keep it in there. That's how they make money. So when people give to you to allow your life to self-actualize, those are the positives, and you want to keep those. And by the end of that exercise, I basically suggest that here's how here's how you can grow your depositors. And I give some examples of how you can do okay. that. So that. So that's one example of, of knowing, right, to your question, how do you determine, <laughs> right, um, who are good relationships and bad relationships. And sometimes in the withdrawals, you have family members and in yeah. some cases, parents. Mm-hmm. Some of the people and that Gary you Coleman. love and, and cherish the most can be withdrawers. Yeah. yeah, they can be withdrawers because they're all dependent. Everybody has their mm-hmm. issues, right? Everybody is, everybody is dysfunctional at some Course. level. And yeah, yeah. But, but you can't let that dysfunction uh, cause you not to function. Mm-hmm. Right, you got to be you got to be able to detach yourself in the in the matters that uh, in the ways that make sense. Sometimes you're living with the people, and you, you just can't afford to be on your own yet. 
at a certain point, you need to be in your own space, come in and out the times when they are not there. I mean, you, you have to maneuver for your own safety and your own sanity yeah. and for your own creative, uh, your own creative output. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it ties into to your earlier point, a very sound point about it's our, it's our insecurity that probably allows this perpetual cycle to continue with allowing the withdrawers to take too much from us, but then overcoming that insecurity, being really self-assured and being able to set standards and and boundaries, you know, especially with the people that are near and dear to us, like our family members, where we don't necessarily want to cut them off forever from our life. No, but creating those boundaries where you do not let that happen but I still love you, you're important, but no, I, this cannot happen. And, and I even go, Chris, I even go further because the, the book is the book is the empirical data. The book is the process. You got to go through the class um, and that's its design as an interactive book. You're going to interact with it. And then beyond that, I have people that I would coach, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that I take them on as a, as a, as a client, as a coaching client. And there's other things because I found in the four years that the book has been out, um, that some people have very, very unique situations, very unique situations. There was a lady who basically had all the money in the world, um, very, very extremely, I mean, extremely rich, but um, basically funded a an affair well, with a guy uh-huh. who was married. Uh-huh. And she would pay for him to, you know, go on expensive vacations and so forth and, and create elaborate excuses as to where he was. But that was the relationship that made her feel comfortable. And so when you go deep into it, what was the issue? Was, was it the person? Why would you settle for someone who belongs to someone else? Why would you spend an absorbent amount of money? The reason why is because she needed to be in control. She was, she was addicted mm. to difficulty. Mm. She was addicted to difficulty. Mm. And it was difficult for her to see that addiction to difficulty. Right? She took on a project because money was no object. She didn't shy away from it. Mm. So, which caused a lot more pain and anguish emotionally. And so just going back to the root of that issue was, uh, was a major challenge. Um, but the signs were there, the breadcrumbs were there. And so sometimes it just takes someone else who you could respect, who knows uh, a little bit more than what you do in this particular instance, um, to shed some light, bring the flashlight on the issues, and just be stern. Listen, you're going to remain in this deep, dark place emotionally, right? this emotional pit. Um, until you make these changes. Mm-hmm. So, so, so that's what happens sometimes. See, that's why I feel like, you know, and it, it just proves my, my point and I haven't had the opportunity to dive into your book, but I can just tell Delano that it's not just this clear, like blueprint, but it really feels like it's tapping into and helping people, you know, to tap into this mindset shift. It's not just like, okay, you know, do this marketing tactic to monetize on your creative talent, but it's mm-hmm. when you really work on that framing a new narrative, drowning out these external voices and overcoming these insecurities and just the, the work 
that you mm-hmm. and and then shifting that mindset to then open up, you know, the opportunities to mm-hmm. um, you know, attract potentially more wealth. I mean, is am I kind of on the right path or perhaps um Yeah. Yeah, because that's why I feel like it's so powerful of yeah. what you're putting out there and teaching. Yeah. Yeah, the book, the book is the manual that you still have to do the mental labor. Yeah. You still have to read it. You still have to perform those things. And then there are stages to it. Self-awareness of the programming language, the life scripts, the environment, the habits. What I go as deep as epigenetics, which suggests that we are predisposed to actually make the same decisions, right, based on our parents' decisions when placed in the mm-hmm. same scenarios. And the epigenetics, which is how our DNA actually yes. records behavior, when we behave to external stimuli and stress, our gene records that. So it's all, it's all about imprinted information. Mm-hmm. that's uh, acquired and exactly. then replayed so that we know how to behave in those scenarios again in the future. So it's not just with us, but it's also with our kids. So this is why sometimes you would see a parent yep. that struggles with alcoholism because mm-hmm. they respond to, respond to stress this way. And then they would realize that, oh, my dad had this issue. Now I have this issue. Yeah. And so this is this is what's happening. It's that your behavior or response to the world outside is being recorded inside mm-hmm. and then transmitted to your kids from you, either through environment, right, which is the nurturing, or the nurturing, which is through your seed, right. So 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 we have to deal with those things and. And all of this information brings an awareness so that mm-hmm. you can start to pinpoint mm-hmm. where you can start to change the narrative and programming language, words that, words that actually start to change. And what we found, uh, uh, neuroscientists and uh, endocrinologists have found out that it takes about 7 to 21 days to create a habit depending on the level of intricacy and how embedded it was into your behavior. So I take people through, again, and I just want to say, I'm not a trained doctor. I'm not a psychologist. These are all basic. Oh, I thought I heard six principles. days, no? Hmm? You know, seven uh-huh. days, and I'll tell you why. Seven days. So there's, so it takes about seven days for the body to accept a implant. At that seven-day mark, the body decides whether it is going to accept or reject this organ. Right? endocrinologist um, uh, and uh, and there's no other way or no other reason other than the seven day principle of, of within the creation um, idea you know celestial um, um, orbits of, of you know moon or stars that suggest a seven day but it's the seven day thing is built into us the seven day principle mm-hmm. um, so it takes seven days, and then again, three times that seven, 21. So, so mm-hmm. it is not only just biblical numerology, but meanings of numbers as well. And three is an is a extremely creative number. 
Um, but nine is a super creative number. Seven is a number of completion. Five is a number of grace and patience. Like four is structure, east, west, north, south, right? So we have these all these numbers in every business that's ever started that's successful. We always, this always starts on three. Most things are created on the principle of three. This is where we get the three blind mice or the three students, right? And we always have three main people that start a company, the thinker, the talker, and the doer. Every successful corporation. So so the success that you, that you want to see, want to want to have is it is embedded in the world around you. But again, going back to our first conversation here, Chris, is that finding who you are, it's really a reintroduction to who you are because the world beats it out of us and distracts us away from who we are. And now we have to go on this journey to really find ourselves again. And it starts with going back to what age was that? So, so that's three. what I, I, I believe. Yep. At the age of at, yep. Yep, yep. three. There is that number again, three. Yeah. So um so yeah, so 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 that's so, so that's what I think in terms of what people it's 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 a it's a it's a program. Um I, I do it uh professionally to to help people to just kind of mentally get that change your inner narrative mm-hmm. and your, your life scripting programming. And um, yeah, and that's it. Yeah, well, I um, it's so much aligned with what I've discovered through my own personal development journey in Delano that, you know, we we grow, come into this world as, you know, innocent beings that are probably very much assured of who we are as with our, you know, soul soul being right but then it's this indoctrination Mm -hmm. and societal programming where then we have to peel back and unlearn everything that we've been you know pounded into our heads as the shoulda the what is expected what's the right or wrong the everyone else's definition of success to then really get to the core essence of how we came into Mm -hmm. this world as (sighs) And that's the journey definitely that I've been on to. And quite frankly, it's been, um, for me, one of the most profound and quite frankly, also very fun because I think while discovering some of my subconscious beliefs and limiting thoughts and these insecurities are, it's a little scary sometimes, but I know, Delana, and I'm sure you'll agree with me through your client work and your personal work that there's just a, it's like a superpower knowing that you can own it. You know, it's like you recognize it, you own it, but I know I'm going to be there because I can overcome it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. I love, I love the way you said that. Thank you. Um, I feel like I can ask you a million questions because you are certainly a wealth of knowledge. But to kind of wrap things up here, one of my favorite things I like to ask my guest, Delano, is if you can go back to your younger self, and it can be the any age, to remind him to live fully in the present and always on his own terms. Is there something you like to pass on? Mm, that's a really good question. I would remind myself that that patience is the most important principle to have 
understand self-actualization. Mm -hmm. Be patient with your process and allow it to work. Uh, that's, that's, that's what I would say, that everything is not going to come instantly. And, and there's a joy in watching it unfold as opposed to just seeing it appear. Mm -hmm. Watching it unfold is, is like part of how we learn. Yes. Right? We learn through observation. We learn by, by someone telling us what needs to be done and then them modeling that, seeing some model of how that works. So observation is extremely important. So, so just just taking your time and 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 allow yourself yourself to enjoy the journey. Mm -hmm. That's probably the most important thing that I would tell my twenty four year old. <laughs> everything seems so, so so desperate and so now. Yeah, and finding the joy in it. Yeah. That was really beautiful. Yeah. And God, this year definitely has reminded us of, kind of finding yeah. the joy yeah. in the little yeah. things. So thank yeah. you for that reminder. Delana, you, you, you know, as I said, I just learned so much from you just in this hour conversation. And I know our audience has to connect with you, get this book or just hear more inspiration from you. So please tell us where everyone can connect with you, get your book and all that yeah. jazz. Yeah. So if you're interested in the book, just head on over to talentedandbroke.com. Um, that's talentedandbroke.com. You can find me on all social media at uh, Delano A. Johnson. That's Delano A. like Alpha Johnson, uh, regular spelling, J-O-H-N-S somewhere. And Delano is spelled D-E-L-A-N-O, like uh, Theodore Delano. <laughs> so Delano A. Johnson everywhere, and especially on uh, the platform they call Clubhouse. Yes. Until <laughs> we do some other things. So, so yeah, Delano A. Johnson, uh, at Delano A. Johnson, that's my handle everywhere. Incredible. This has been an absolute pleasure and an honor to speak with you today, Delano. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. And thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode of P.S. Younger Self. It really means a lot to me that you're spending your time with me. So if you like this episode, please be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or just about anywhere you listen to your podcast. Leave me a review. Tell me what you think. It really helps me get more valuable content to you guys. So until next time, take care and remember to always live your life on your own terms.